Mendy here from the Triple Play Fantasy Football Show. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We welcome in a man that is the definition of a Swiss Army knife. Some might know this man as a quarterback where he dominated on the football field for 12 years, won a Super Bowl and an MVP award, while also winning the hearts of ladies going shirtless on the practice field. Others may know him as a commentator calling Super Bowl 19, Sunday Night Football, and even some of American Gladiators. Maybe football wasn't your thing, and you know this man as an actor, as he's been in BJ and the Bear, Cannonball Run 2, The Man from Left Field, and my guy's even been on the Hallmark Channel in some movies that my fiancé loves to watch. A corporate speaker, a restaurateur, and finally, even an author as his new book, How to Be a Champion Every Day, Six, to- six Timeless Keys to Success just dropped in stores a few months ago. There's only one man with these type of accolades, and that is this man, the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Theismann. Joe, thanks for coming on today and joining us. You are welcome, David. Now, I've been introduced. I've been speaking for nigh on 40 years, and there have been introductions uh, when it, you step out on stage, but I, I've never been uh, honored in such a way with so many flowing accolades that you uh, just mentioned. I appreciate it very much. I guess you say I should be pretty tired with all the stuff I'm doing, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, but, it's, uh, Thank you. Of course. It's, it's actually funny because uh, me and my future father-in-law, we were just, you know, I wanted to kind of, re- I already knew like about your career and, and I some things I were finding out post-career. And I saw that you're so good at like all these things and I was just saying to myself, there's just one thing I want to be better at than Joe Theismann. You're taking every option away. <laughs> well, first of all, you're younger than I am. So technologically, you're probably far ahead where I am uh, when it comes to operating computers and the technological world. Yeah. OK, so I will take that home with me. So I, I got that's it. Good. That's yours. So I, I do want to right off the bat, I brought it up in the intro and that's talking about your new book uh, and that's how to be a champion every day. The six timeless keys to success. And I love the message from this book because it's bigger than just football. And so I just was wondering, could you tell our listeners about the book and the how the advice that you give in there could change their life? Yeah, uh, what I did was and it, it really is it's it, it took me three, four years to to do it. I'm sure everybody out there starts a project and you really get excited about it. You get going on the project and all of a sudden you get towards the end and you find ways not to finish it. And one of the things I really talk about in the book is focusing and finishing projects, which I finally got to. But after we won the world championship in 1982, I was given the good fortune to attend a whole lot of different meetings. I attended all kinds of corporate meetings, all kinds of awards. And at the corporate meetings, whether I was talking to the president of a company or someone from HR or marketing or accounting or sales, it didn't matter where it was. They talked about the same things that we talked about in football. They talked about opportunities, which is one of the headings in the book. They talked about goals, another one, attitude, another one, teamwork, motivation, motivate and motivation and different elements. And all those things were part of the world I came out of of football. And I said, geez, 
They're talking about the same things in football, in business that we talk about in football. And if you really take those headings, you know, opportunities in life, the attitudes you take into life, the goals you set for yourself. I'm a big believer in writing them down. I'm an advocate of bringing it out into the physical universe, write it down. And then it's amazing how life can help you get where you want to go. I've been a part of a team ever since I was a little kid. And if you're a part of a family, you're part of a team. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know what gets people going. I, you know, I ask people all the time in my speeches is my feet hit the floor. I drive my wife nuts because I'm ready. I mean, I, I go from zero to 100 right now. Um, Robbie takes a whole lot longer to get it going. <laughs> but, but for me, it's like I, I'm motivated by the opportunities that life presents us. And this is one thing that I've talked about in my presentations now is instead of looking at the world as a changing world right now for so many people, I think we ought to take a look at it as a tremendous opportunity. You know, David, in football, we have a bye week. And during that bye week, we don't study opponents. We study ourselves. So I've looked at these last six months as a social and personal bye week where everybody out there, all of us on the call, everybody listening, we've all had to take a step back because if the pandemic did not occur, we'd all be doing the exact same thing that we did over and over and over in more likelihood. Because of this, we've had to slam our feet to the ground and say, whoa, what am I going to do? I mean, you know, you're home a lot more. You're around someone you haven't been around a lot because they have a job, you have a job, and now all of a sudden everybody's together. The kids are there. It's like every everybody go to a neutral corner, okay? That's the that's why you just start. Let's okay, everybody go to a corner of the house and stay there for an hour and I'll see you later. I mean, there's so many different things that we've had to come up with. And that's that's you know, so I don't really look at life as quote unquote to change changing as much as I think tremendous opportunities have been prevent presented for us. Yeah, and everything you said and some of the things I noted from your book is just again that this isn't something that isn't just from the football field. I think people associate you with football, but like all the things that the messages you're bringing carry in through life. And there are things that, especially like you said, in times like this, that you can take with you and help kind of break through to that next step. And uh, I just think it's awesome. I put the book in my cart, right? Uh, actually, right before we started, like this is, it's, it's such a great message. And I actually also saw some of the uh, editorials that were written too. And you had um, guys like Bill Belichick, Kevin Plank, Joe Gibbs, Guy Fieri, like all, I mean, these guys are all smart guys, and and I think that I'm definitely going to learn and become better from reading this. So I'm really excited, and I can't wait to start reading it. I appreciate it, Dave. You know, one of the things I talk about, and one of my favorite sayings is, the day you stop learning is the day you stop living. And uh, so the book basically is information that I've accumulated over time. Uh, General Powell, Colin Powell, was a, you know wrote some stuff on leadership for me, whom I admire tremendously. Uh, there's a young man by the name of Joey Bozick, who was a triple amputee, uh, who was just, um, you know, when he when he wound up losing parts of, of limbs, um, I asked him one day, I was in a golf tournament with him down at Camp Lejeune, and Joey was in a special cart, was a terrific golfer before he got hurt. And I said, how are you? And he said, listen, he said, I can live with my position in life because the men that I was responsible for were okay. I mean, is there any other greater example of sacrifice and leadership than someone that says, look, basically never said, look at where I am, but everybody I was responsible for is OK. So, so many people have contributed to it. Like I say, it's an accumulation of a lot of years and 
every day you, you got to learn something. I, I constantly say this. You need to know more today than you knew yesterday and need to know more tomorrow than you know today. And that way we keep moving forward. And believe me, in this time, every minute seems like it's a learning experience for us. For sure. And I just love that. You're learning every day. If you didn't learn today, it's like that, that's that's something that I think everybody needs to take home. You know, if you if you if you didn't take advantage of what if you don't take advantage of what's going on now in your relationships, in your business, the things you want to do, you're never going to be given this opportunity. I believe again. I hope for you, everybody who's young out. I hope for your sake you don't ever have to go through anything like this again, uh, where basically the world has come almost to a complete stop, and it's like a step back. It's like we're not even getting a chance to take one step forward. In some instances, we're taking steps backward. And so now you have to figure out, okay, how, do, how does it work for me? How am I going to make it work for me? Right. And I mean, whether it's something like that, and then we were actually talking before we started recording. And one of the things that Joe brought up that I, I learned today is I need a horse painting behind me because uh, <laughs> I, I realize that's such a champ move. <laughs> but um, I do want to dive into a little bit of the gridiron. And so you played ball at the prestigious Notre Dame University with other greats like Joe Montana, Curly Lambeau, Jerome Bettis, and of course, Rudy. So uh, being at a a university with players that have played there, just like those guys and and yourself, what is it like putting the Irish helmet on and playing for coach? uh, I think Eric Pasekian, right? No, it's Eric I rehearsed it and I still didn't get it right. Era Parsi again. Yes. Parsi. Yeah. I'm all for you telling David he's wrong. Good try, though. Okay. Good try. You should have seen the first time I met him. I just had to call him coach. I mean, that, you know, that, that's what you do in football. You know, it's like Buddy Ryan, for example, who coached the Eagles. He didn't know anybody's name. He knew everybody by numbers. Say, hey, 54, come over here. Hey, 23, come over. I mean, <laughs> know anybody's names. You refer to everybody by numbers. But playing at the University of Notre Dame was very special. Now, uh, it's interesting, and I don't know whether other players felt this way. When you go to school someplace, uh, I, I didn't have a history with the University of Notre Dame. I um, had a chance to, to go there, and it was an interesting story for me because I'd already signed at North Carolina State University. My head football coach was a guy by the name of Ron Wojcicki. And Ron was the backup to Roman Gabriel, who was a, a terrific NFL quarterback. And I thought, hey, that's a cool idea, and that's why I'll go to school. And they recruited me. And then Notre Dame came back after I signed and said, we'd like you to make a trip out to the university. I said, I've already committed to NC State. They said, well, we're an independent, so you wouldn't lose any eligibility. I made the trip. I flew back into Newark, New Jersey, the airport there. I got off the plane. My dad met me. He says, what do you think? I said, I have to go to Notre Dame. He says, Why? I said, Dad, I can only give you one explanation. It felt right. And, and I believe this. If we trust our gut more sometimes than we just trust the analytics that go into things, we're probably going to be right a larger percentage than we're wrong. It's just that our, our instincts sort of tell us certain things. And when I went to the University of Notre Dame, I was 152 pounds. I was a skinny little scrawny kid, one of 13 quarterbacks. Wow. But I, I also believe in, in taking advantage of um, – an opportunity that's presented being that I was small, being that I wasn't very large, very tall, uh, six feet, little under six feet. I went in a week early and I got to know coach uh, Tom Pagna, who was our quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. I got to know Tom and, and got to understand the offense, knew where to stand in the huddle, understood the terminology. So when everybody else showed up, I had a leg up on everybody. 
You know, it, it's like it's like how can you create that competitive edge for yourself? What gives you a competitive edge in life? And, and for me, it was being there early enough so that I could be at the front of the line. And then it was up to me to keep the job. It ultimately boils down to you. If, if you can get in the door, can you do the job? Can you keep the job? And, you know, it was just a, a wonderful career there. Great bunch of guys I played with. Um, I still love going back. I try to go back to at least three games a year at the university. But to me, as a sophomore, uh, running out on that field in 1960, well, it would be 1968, when I ran out on that football field for the first time and you had the student body on one side and it was only 7,500 of us, all guys. And then on the other side, you had the Notre Dame marching band and they're playing the Notre Dame fight song. And I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just telling the story right now. I mean, it's just a, it's a magical place. You know, Joe, this is the first time, surprisingly, that people may think that this is the first time we've ever talked. And um, I can just get the competitiveness from you. Like, I just want to run through a wall right now. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love that. And you, you brought that kind of that fire from college um, to the NFL. And we're talking kind of transitioning out of the NFL. And, and John, I know there was something you wanted to ask about his NFL career. Yeah, everybody, of course, associates you with, uh, you know, Washington Redskins, but you were initially drafted by the uh, Miami Dolphins and then elected to play for the Toronto Argonauts, getting to a Grey Cup, of course, and then eventually it almost comes full circle where you do, in fact, beat the Miami Dolphins as a member of the Washington Redskins in the Super Bowl. Did that sort of give you an extra sense of motivation? Was it a vindication or or what exactly was it like going into that, knowing the history? There wasn't any... You know, initial, there wasn't any more motivation than winning the championship. In 1982, it was a strike season. We missed seven games that year. Uh, I think we only played a total of, of nine uh, through the entire season. Then we went all went as wild cards to the playoffs. But it was it was Coach Gibbs' second year. I'd fought for my job to keep it in 1981. We were 0-5. He was about to bench me. I went to his house, which is a story I tell. And, and I asked people, how important is the job you have to you? How important are the things in your life that you're willing to do what you need to do to keep them? And so when I did, when I went to Toronto, uh, Coach Shula was really mad. I mean, um, I flew back from Toronto after I signed the contract because I'd gone to Miami. I flew down to Miami. Uh, Joe Thomas was the general manager. He was having heart surgery, so I negotiated my contract with Mr. Robbie, who owned the team. I sat down with him. I sat in front of him. And you'll love these numbers compared to where we are today. <laughs> He, he said to me in, 19, in 1971, he said, what do you want? So I made the first mistake of negotiations. I told him, I said, I want, 30, <laughs> I want 35, 45 and $55,000. And I want a $35,000 signing bonus. He said, you got it. And I said, oh, it's not supposed to work that way. We're supposed to. Have- <laughs> so anyway, and then I broke the bonus down into three years over the three year contract. And so it was going to be uh, 12, 12 and 11. But they wanted me to pay back the bonus if for some reason I wasn't able to make it in the third year. Now, keep in mind, in the late in the late 60s and early 70s, the Vietnam War was going on. So I didn't know what was going to happen. And I said, no, that's unrelated. So we went back and forth, back and forth. Now, Coach Shula thought I was signed, sealed, and delivered. I went on TV in Miami. Come heck or high water, I'll be a Miami Dolphin. Well, high water came. Um, and so... Uh, as it wound up, uh, when I signed with the Argonauts, I, Aero Parsi, he called me at 6 a.m. in the morning. He said, what have you done? He said, I signed with the Argonauts. He said, yeah, I know, because Shula's on a plane right now. Don Shula flew up and read me the riot act. I think he hated me. He hated me for gosh knows how many years. 
So wouldn't you know it, life coming full circle. You talk about coming full circle. So we wind up beating them in Super Bowl 17. I wind up broadcasting Super Bowl 19. The participants in Super Bowl 19 in Palo Alto, California, happen to be the San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins. So I get to see Coach Shula again. <laughs> he still doesn't like me. He's still me. So uh, finally, after many years, Don and I, you know, I guess you could say he buried the hatchet in me and I let it stay there. But, uh, yeah, Coach Shula wasn't happy with what my decision was. But I have no problem with it. I mean, I had three wonderful years in Toronto. We went to a great cup. It was, it was, a, it was a time in society when it, you know, there were people going north to get away and, and get out of the draft and the, the bell bottoms and seersucker suits. And, I mean, it was – I had guys that could dress. Gene Mack always wore one of those floppy hats. You think guys dress today? Pfft, nothing compared to what the guys up there then. Hey, Joe, so I want to go back to that Super Bowl, and it happened – you won it in your 10th year when you were 34. Did you envision that earlier in your career, and do you think that QBs now have a shorter leash than they did back when you were playing? Well, uh, you know, interestingly enough, when I came into the league in 74, Eric, I was um, – I, w- I called my own plays for a couple of years. And then Joe Walton took over, and he called plays, and – and it was, they ran them in. We ran players in at that time. And then when Coach Gibbs got there, we went to a signaling system because uh, I had George Allen initially, then Jack Pardee, who really gave me a chance to start in 78. And then Joe Walton taught me the quarterback position, and Joe Gibbs provided the system. I, I think uh, the guys with the communicators in the helmets now um, have a lot of noise in their ear a lot. I mean, they'll stay away from the veterans a little bit. They'll call a play, maybe throw a suggestion out because I've never worked with one. So I really don't know what the communication sounds like. We signaled everything in. And as soon as I got a certain signal, I knew what they wanted, and we went off and did it. But I had latitude to be able to change. The one thing I wasn't able to do, which a lot of guys do today, is work out of a shotgun. I worked one game against the Bears out of a shotgun in 1984 in the playoffs, and I absolutely loved it. So I'm thinking, this is it. I'm a mobile quarterback. I'm going to get in a shotgun. Roger Staubach had been in a shotgun for many years. This is this opens up a whole new world for me, a whole new dimension as far as a quarterback goes. So we go out to play the Los Angeles Raiders in our first preseason game at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. First third down, balls on the 18, 20 yard line. My center, whose name I won't mention, Jeff Bostick, snaps <laughs> Jeff snaps the ball over my head. I recover it on about the eight. I'm jogging to the sidelines. I go past Coach Gibbs. He goes, no more shotgun. I said, but Coach, he goes, eh. I said, no more shotgun. I said, Joe, he goes, I said, no more shotgun. Fine. So that was the last. I had one play in the shotgun in 1985, and that was that was it. And here it was. This was, this was going to open up a whole new world for me. And all of a sudden, it was like, okay. Uh, I come to find out, Coach Bugle, Joe Bugle, who just passed recently, what an unbelievable coach he was, our line coach. He used to get in Joe's ear all the time and say, you know, we just don't look good in a shotgun. We're a tougher football team than that. We don't look really tough. And so I think Joe finally, he was looking for that one excuse to be able to get rid of it. We provided it for him. <laughs> so, Joe, I'm, I'm actually the resident Washington fan on the show. I'm Thank curious you, to hear your take on it. <laughs> I'm curious to hear your take on Dwayne Haskins being benched. So from the outside looking in, it's his third coach in two years, but it seems like he had a super short leash. Why do you think that decision was made, and do you agree with it? 
I, you know, I, I thought it was, I didn't think it was going to happen quite as quickly as it did. If he didn't play better over the next couple weeks, I thought it might happen, you know, another two weeks down the road a little bit. Uh, Dwayne was named number one from the get-go. When Ron took over, he made Dwayne the starter immediately. But Dwayne had a, a system in college where he had a track team around him, and mm-hmm. he, he'd throw a lot of bubble screens and quick posts, which is what you see him throw very well. Um, then all of a sudden he comes to the Washington football team, and he starts seven games. The first two I don't think he was really ready or, or knew anything about the game. And then when Bill Callahan took over as the head coach, they leaned more towards the run as opposed to the past. So he really didn't get a chance to develop that aspect of it. And now there's no OTAs, no mini camps, no training camp, no preseason games. Dwayne, unfortunately, is a victim of what's happened to football and really to a lot of different sports. You just didn't have the preseason and the timing to be able to learn your trade as well. And uh, he made, you know, evidently, if, if you listen to Ron, the improvement wasn't there that he needed to see. He still missed people high. Mm-hmm. Um, he still, his footwork got out of whack. Uh, it was a new system. So if you take all those things and put it together, um, I, I really feel like it was an unfortunate set of circumstances. I don't believe Dwayne's going to go away. I hope he's not. This is a time when he has to, you know, man up himself. And, and I'm telling you something right now, he is the loneliest person in the world because even with your family yeah. around you and anybody, you know, you went from you went from one a week ago to not even dressing. And this right. is where this is where you really have to look at yourself and say, and this is what I talk about. How important is this job to me? First thing I would do if I was playing, I would go to Coach Scott Turner, offensive coordinator, and Coach Dan Pesey and say, What do I need to work on? And then I would take some of those practice squad receivers. And after every practice, I would go out and I would work on what I needed to, to try and be ready just in case. Cause you know what the quarterback position is like in this business guys. I mean, mm-hmm. in an instant, I mean, we went through four of them three years ago. I think it was in Washington. We went through four of them in four consecutive games. Oh yeah. So you, you just don't know, but I, I think the decision was made because of what the records are in the division, Brad, and also the fact that Kyle is much more attuned to what Scott's system is. I mean, he was in Carolina for three years. He basically knows the system very well. I think he'll anticipate well. Uh, he came out like a house on fire when he had a chance to play down in Carolina. I mean, he, he went through like, I think, 10 touchdown passes with no interceptions and in four games, and then everything turned around. Then it became 13, yeah. 13 TDs and 16 INTs, and things just didn't go well. You know, the one thing about the quarterback position, and I say this all the time, it's the single most dependent position on the field. Now, granted, Dwayne did not have much of a supporting cast around him other than Terry. Uh, the offensive line has been patchwork with Brandon Sheriff getting hurt, going out, so you, you got different pieces. It's a whole new set of running backs. All those things are true, uh, but evidently Coach Rivera made a decision on what he saw and really, you know, Dwayne just – wasn't to a point where he felt like he wanted him to continue to just sort of try and develop as you played the games. They want to win football games, and that's the position you can only make a change at. You change a guard, who cares? You know, you change a linebacker. So, so what? Linebackers win. But if you change the quarterback position, it sort of makes everybody wake up a little bit. Right, and I do want to highlight going back to you that you had you had a great career for the Washington team. You gave them their first Super Bowl in 40 years. 
multi-pro bowler, had those wheels rushing for almost 2,000 yards and 17 touchdowns, which people don't talk about enough. Um, so I actually want to transition, though, from out of football to I called you the Swiss Army knife in the beginning because you have so many different endeavors that you've been on. And starting off with broadcasting, and you did Super Bowl 19 and Sunday, Monday Night Football, and you've been on the, the screen as far as TV shows and movies and the Hallmark Channel, and it's just like, man, like you've been, you've done it all. And um, I'm just curious, did you always know you wanted to be in the media and film industry when you were done playing football? Not, not really. Um, I had, I'll go, I'll take you all the way back to college. Uh, there was a gentleman who basically changed the pronunciation of my last name, Roger Baldessari. I went to the University of Notre Dame as Joe Thiesman, and I left as Joe Thiesman uh, because Roger sat with, with me one day, and here's the story. I walked in his office. We I had a really good junior year. Beginning of my senior year, I walk in Roger's office. He says, Joe, how do you pronounce your last name? I said, it's Thiesman. He says, no, Joe, your last name is pronounced Thiesman. I said, no, Rog, my last name is Thiesman. He said, no, Joe, it's pronounced Thiesman. I said, give me the phone. <laughs> I called my, call my dad back home. Now I get my dad on the phone and say, hey, dad, I got a question for you. And my father always used to say, far away, Joe. Um, and I said, okay, dad, you know, how, you know, how do you pronounce our last name? And there's like dead silence on the phone. About 30 seconds goes by. My dad comes on. He says, son, you really do have a problem, don't you? You're a senior in college. You know who you are. And what have you been doing for the last three years? I said, dad, that's not it. I'll explain it later. He said, it's Thiesman. Hung the phone up, turned to Roger. I said, Roger, look, my last name is Thiesman. I know I just got the phone my dad. He says, Joe, I want to tell you something. There's a trophy out there called the Heisman Trophy. He goes, the best college football player in the country. We think you have a chance to win that trophy. But we're not just going to count on your athletic ability, nor the reputation of the University of Notre Dame. But we think by just simply changing the pronunciation of your last name from Thiesman to Thiesman to Ryan with Thiesman, we can get you that trophy. And so that's how I wound up becoming Joe Thiesman. And that's wow. sort of a, a wow. And Roger had this vision. When we used to do interviews, Roger would stand behind the person doing an interview. Like, for example, now that we're on a computer and we're doing something virtual, he would be like behind there. And let's say, David, you asked me a question. He would shake his head, which basically means find a nice way to answer it, but don't say anything. Or he would nod his head this way and go, say whatever you want. And it really taught me how to communicate. And by the way, probably the two most important courses I took in college, speech and argumentation. I think sooner or later, you're going to have to step up in front of somebody. Look, all of us, here we are all in some way, shape or form communicating with one another. And so I had a background in, I guess you could say, communications. I did a lot of interviews because I was the quarterback at the University of Notre Dame. It gave me a feel for the media. And then when I became a professional, it was the same thing. I was exposed more to the media. I had I had local shows here in Washington. And then one thing led to the next. And uh trying to think who it was that uh, I think Rune Arledge uh, gave me a chance to broadcast Super Bowl 19. They wanted us to lose against the Bears because I was going to replace, and I did, O.J. Simpson in the booth with Don Meredith and Frank Gifford. And so oh, wow. I, I hadn't really anticipated leaving the game. I hadn't anticipated broadcasting because there's only two people that have ever broadcast a championship that have, were active players. Jack Kemp was one and I was the other. And uh, But it, things went well. It was comfortable. Those two guys, I mean, Frank and Don were absolutely, you know, just saints. Helped me so much. Uh, Frank and I remained friends for many, many years and communicated. You know, I'd do something in television. And he'd say, your voice is a little raspy. you got to clear your voice a little bit. Or, you know, he'd always offer these little tidbits of information. 
And that's really when I thought about the world of, uh, of football. And then I, Burt Reynolds was a dear friend, and he's the one that put me in the in Cannonball Run too. The the critically acclaimed Cannonball Run too. <laughs> did well, you? Did you? The reason I say that, I, I know I'm talking, but the reason I say that is here, here's the cast of Cannonball Run 2. Now, Terry Bradshaw did Cannonball Run 1. I did Cannonball Run 2. There's Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, um, Charles Nelson Riley, Dom DeLuise, Burt Reynolds, Jackie Chan, uh, Richard Keel, who used to play Jaws. And then there was Mary Lou Henner, Catherine Box, Susan Anton, uh, Shirley MacLaine. These were all people that were in the movies. Uh, it was it was unbelievable to be around them. And, and I lived out in California for about four or five years and I got bit by the bug a little bit and was, you know, I did PJ and the bear. I did um, Brooklyn nine, nine and a few other things. People have asked me to do some shows. And then I did the two Hallmark movies, which is snow coming and love on the sidelines. And right now we're looking at possibly a third coming up here in November, maybe. So yeah. there you, go. Know it is. you know what I love about the Hallmark channel guys is with all this craziness that we're dealing with in this world today, I mean, really, I mean, it's just the, the world is completely turned upside down in so many different aspects. You could turn on the Hallmark Channel, you basically know what's going to happen. There's about <laughs> seven people, somebody's going to fall in love, somebody's going to create an issue, somebody's going to create a problem, and at the end of the movie, everybody kisses and hugs, and you know what? You feel darn good. Yes, that's what I love about the yeah. movie. I, I love my, my wife and I get we get around Christmas. It's like crazy. I mean, that's it. What do you want to watch, Hallmark? Okay, great. <laughs> your well, your talk- wife and my and my fiance must like know each other or something because that's all <laughs> it's on my, our TV from literally from like beginning of November to right. end of December. Right. So now that you're going to be potentially in one, I know what our first request is going to be. And it's going to be for the the movie that you said you're going to potentially oh, be yeah, in, right? Be, well, yeah, <laughs> that, that, I'm hoping that'll get uh, we'll get that done. So it's a little tough traveling across borders right now. Right, with, right. Uh, with everything's going on. So, yeah. You talk about being comfortable in front of the camera. Did you enjoy the Monday Night Football broadcasting experience and kind of see all the switching out that they do nowadays? I, oh, what were the kind of the positives and negatives that you take away from it? I absolutely loved it. And what I, I love, first of all, I love talking about the game of football. I wanted to be a teacher. That was the role I wanted to take. I wanted people at the end of a broadcast that Paul McGuire and Mike Patrick and I did. I wanted them at the end of a night to say, you know something? I learned something about football tonight from these guys. So it was a challenge for me to want right. to do that. And, and just like any environment you're in, whether you're in an office, whether you're on a team, it's the people around you. I mean, our, our the people that worked on Monday night football, and, and we did it Sunday night. We did Thursday nights. I, I worked at ABC. I worked at NBC. I worked CBS. I worked at every network. I worked at the NFL network for a while. Every person, every cameraman, everybody in the studio, everybody sitting down running all the boards and stuff, they were great. But Paul and Mike and I, we had the best time together. We used to go out. We'd get to a town Friday. Uh, Friday night, we'd go out to dinner. Saturday, we'd go you know, spend time together. Sunday, we'd have a meeting. I mean, literally, we were together all the time. And you know, Paul was great. When Paul would check into a hotel room, he would clean out the entire refrigerator. Take all the little bottles out and fill it up with Budweiser. That's yeah, there you go. Yes. Telling you, man, he just I uh, still stay in touch with the guys and miss them dearly. And I had three great producers: Freddie Gadelli, who is now with the uh, at uh, uh, on uh, NBC does Thursday Night Football, and uh, 
and Sunday night football. John Wildhack was my first one. John's the athletic director at uh, Syracuse University. And Jay Rothman. Jay oh, wow. did Monday night for so many years. And they were great teachers of the business to me. I mean, it, 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 you've seen what's happened with certain people going through, especially at ESPN. It's like yeah. they've just rolled people through and really haven't found uh, the cohesiveness that they're looking for. And it's, it's not that easy. I mean, in the beginning, I got accused, and I know we're talking a lot now, but, hey, that's what we're here to do. But, <laughs> you know, I, I just you, – you went on a little bit. There's disciplines that you have to have. You have to give the play-by-play guy a chance. I enjoy Tony Romo uh, and Jim Nance. I think Jim Nance could do anything, just like Mike Tirico. You, Mike Tirico oh, yeah. could, Mike could do golf on a Sunday, basketball on a Monday, baseball on a Tuesday, football on a Thursday, tennis on a Friday – and you would think that he had done nothing but study for each of those sports individually. That's how good he is. I had a chance to work with Mike and, and Tony Kornheiser, who was um, – Tony's interesting. You see him on yes. PTI. Just like PTI is just like he was. We had a lot of <laughs> That's awesome. I, I do want to be respectful of your time, Joe, so I want to get to this, this last couple things here. Um, and could you start us by telling about your company that you're heavily involved with, uh, Med? Metaliminal. See, I can't pronounce things it's anymore. Just like, it's just like Aeroport Seagate. You, David, you got this. <laughs> Don't give him encouragement. Uh, he's got it, though. I mean, it's, you know, I know you're new, but that's okay. It's fine. Um, Medliminal is, is actually what it is. It's a company we have called an HCAT system. What you do, and, and most people that get medical bills, you don't understand what the charges are. I, I, I defy anybody to explain what a charge is on a medical bill. And so what we do at Medliminal, it's medliminal.com. If you want to contact us through our website and just ask us, say, can you look at this bill and see if I'm being charged appropriately? Most, most medical bills are, are there overcharges in it. And what we want to do is we want to help the employers, help the people uh, to be able to, if necessary, save money, if not just to make sure it's exactly the way it should be. And so it's, you know, sort of a watchdog type of a thing that that's med liminal. And uh, I've been doing this now for a couple of years talking about them. And, you know, I've had friends of mine call me up and say, wow, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you turned me on to it because there were things there. First of all, I didn't understand. And secondly, there were things that needed to be corrected. So it's, um, and they've got nurses and, and, and different members of their staff that research it and uh, run it through a giant system to uh, check it out. So it's a, it's a terrific company. Yeah, I actually looked into a little bit about it, and it sounds great. It, I'm, I would can see why people are, you know? are all about it, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. Why not? If you don't understand something, why not have someone look at it that does and explain it to you? I mean, Especially it, something that's serious, too. Yes, exactly. And we're medical all faced with medical bills. Every one of us is either you either have or you will at some point in time be faced with them, and you will not understand them. That's and they're expensive. Oh, by the way. I just I find myself in different characters now. My wife and I watch Netflix. Okay, we're on Netflix. We discovered it about uh, seven eight months ago. We didn't hadn't really thought about it now, but there's a great series called Longmire. It's six seasons, and it is so cool. I can just tell you, um, like every series, there are certain episodes that where you go, oh, I don't know, but then if you stay, it's cool. I mean, it's it's shot out in Wyoming. It's uh, it, he's a small town sheriff, and uh, just 
get a chance to take a look at it. I, I've never heard of it, and I'm writing it oh, down. Well, as yeah. I have a list of about 100 TV shows I need to watch, and that one's on okay. it, so I'm going to jump it up a few spots. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad it made the list at least. It's <laughs> Medlimer. Oh, long, there Longmire. You Longmire. Longmire. I, I'm, <laughs> you're, you're combining his company in the show. <laughs> Joe's just going to come back from this interview and just be like, that embarrassment that I just talked to. <laughs> well, Joe, I do want to get us out of here on this. This is what we do when we have guests come on. It's a little bit of a rapid fire, just a really quick couple questions here, a little goofy ones, just to hopefully get you laughing a little bit before we, we leave here. So there are you, you up for it? You mean more than I am laughing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can top what I just did. Sure, David. All right, here we go. All right, so would you rather throw a touchdown or nail the perfect line in a movie? Um, throw a touchdown. All right. If there's no perfect line in a movie. Yeah, I guess that one, I should have redid that question. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Oh. Pancakes, waffles, or French toast? French toast. Yes. I knew it. I knew you were a French toast guy. Yep. Um, talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader. Breathe like Darth Vader. People would be scared to death of you. Imagine <laughs> sitting on a place, start breathing like him. People would run away from you. Oh, yes. Oh, especially that. in this environment. Especially with COVID. <laughs> I, I don't mean to interrupt, but like, you know, I heard this one day. It was sort of a joke is take some dental floss and put it in your teeth and leave it there. Oh, my God. That's the looks you get from people. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Can you imagine getting on an airplane, taking out some dental floss, do your teeth, and just sit there and leave it there? All right. Well, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> look at the airplane part. But... Give a good Halloween look. Yeah. Um, would you rather have a one-minute conversation with your past or your future self? Actually, at the back of and the end of my book is a letter to my younger self. So I would oh, like perfect. to have a conversation uh, with myself. It's the... Uh, um, Derek Jeter had the site. We did this. I did it about five, six years ago at the Super Bowl. And um, I loved the letter to my younger self. And, and, I, and really, the reason I had I, I put it as the last section of the book is because I encourage people to really have a conversation. Uh, if you could talk to your younger self, what, what would you share through the experiences of your life now? What would you share with your younger self? And that's uh, so I would definitely do that. That's that's great. I would have liked to say I knew that and tied it in, but I'm not going to give myself that credit yet. Well um, done. Would you rather have only one eyebrow or no eyelashes? One eyebrow or no eyelashes. Um, I'd rather have one eyebrow because I could always paint one on. I can't paint an eyelash. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You can, also give, you can also give like the huh, look. I could also you know, do like the rock, get him to move up yes. <laughs> back and forth. He can do it with his pecs. He does it with his eyebrows, whatever. Would you rather fulfill your biggest wish or resolve your biggest regret? Um, I would rather fulfill my biggest wish because I'm a guy who doesn't believe in looking in the rearview mirror. I only want to look through a windshield. Like that. Would you rather never need glasses again or never have back pain? Never have back pain. I can always pick up a pair of glasses. <laughs> All right, leave the last few here. The have an unlimited airplane ticket for first class wherever you want to go, or never have to pay for food at any restaurant you ever go to. First class uh, ticket to anywhere I want to go. I own restaurants. I don't pay for food now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? When I was writing that question, I was like, maybe he might say that. So I was like, whatever. You knew what the answer was going to yes. be. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, number nine. 
fight a hundred duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Uh, rather fight one horse-sized duck because basically you know where everything is going to be coming, going to be coming from. When you got a hundred of them, they come from everywhere. And on my ranch, I have hundreds of geese, and I'd rather fight one big one than all those. <laughs> If <laughs> it's like when you're in the pocket and everybody's like coming at you and you could just like dodge them. Just oh, like let me tell you, you get close to them, they, they pack a wallop. I mean, when they're defending their nests, sometimes they'll just they'll take that wing of theirs and just whack at you. And it can hurt you. Oh, man, I bet. Um, last one here. Would you rather have to wear one color with all your clothes for the rest of your life or you have to wear seven colors with your outfit for the rest of your life? Oh, I'd like seven colors because I like variety. I mean, I, I would like uh, Al Davis, uh, who was incredible. He wore two colors. He wore everything black <laughs> or everything white. And I believe he was colorblind. So that's why he did it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Al, Al, just, Al wore everything white or everything black. That was it. And I don't think I could do that. I need a little variety in my ties like, and other things. Like the pink socks, green ties. And- exactly. You got to, you know, you the socks are what's are great. But when I was doing live audiences, one of the things I would find all kinds of different types of socks. I mean, find a way to express yourself. And, and w- one last thing I want to say to everybody listening and all you guys is don't ever let anybody ever tell you, you can't achieve your dreams. Don't let someone make a decision for you in your life that you can't be anything and everything you want to be. I love that. And Joe, it's, it's really like, uh, when you say these things, it actually, you know, take your accolades out of it. It's the way you present, like you said, those college classes that you were saying that you, the way you present it is, is a way that I think everybody's going to resonate with and just take it home. So I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, no one of us could say anything better than that. And it just, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. We really appreciate you giving us this time to be able to talk with you. Uh, listen guys, I, I've, I've done a number of these, this was so much fun, and I thank you for the invitation. And please, anybody and everybody out there, stay safe during these crazy times. I mean, we got to this point where we are in, the, in this country today and really around the world by wearing masks, social distancing, washing our hands. Don't stop doing it now. Don't think that we're out of the woods. This is a battle that's going to go on, and the more we take care of ourselves and take care of one another, the quicker we'll see the end of this thing. 100% behind everything you just said. and. Those listening to make sure you check out his new book, How to Be a Champion Every Day, The Six Timeless Keys to Success. I can read that and not mess that up. You it's, did. Available on, <laughs> it's available on Amazon. And if you're not following him, he's at Theisman7 on Twitter. Thanks so much, Joe. David, thank you. Thank you, Johnny, Eric, you too, Brad. Really enjoyed being with you guys. Take care of yourselves. Thank you, Joe. You the same. Bye-bye. Thank you, Appreciate sir. It.